This morning, I want you to think with me about a topic that's very important for each one of us, and that topic is encouragement. I saw some pictures this week that really encouraged me, and so I thought I would encourage you with these pictures as well. These are from our beach baptisms that took place last Sunday, and I'd like to especially thank Richard Mock for taking and sharing those photos with us. First of all, this is a picture of our group down at the beach. And I've got to tell you, this is a very brave group of individuals. Some of you know that the weather conditions were less than ideal. The waves were pretty big last Sunday. And you'll get a sense of that in just a moment here because the first person who braved the surf to be baptized was Mike Meerman. And boy, did we have uh, just the most encouraging time together. Here's another picture. This is uh, Frank um, Watts with his daughter, Lauren. Uh, he had the privilege of assisting with her baptism. This is... A young man who was really excited after he was baptized. He just ran out of the water. Um, that's, that's James Romeo. And then a very brave lady, um, Margaret Berry. And I just want to say thank you to the guys who helped me. Um, you can see them there in the picture, Shane Armstrong, Mike Rivera, Frank Watts. And we baptized 21 people in our church family last week, and it was a really encouraging time. Yeah, let's thank God for that. I was, I was joking with some people um, right after we had the baptisms. We were walking back up the beach, and I knew that Richard had taken everybody's picture, and I'd spoken to Richard, and I, I said, listen, maybe what we should do is this. Um, we'll have these T-shirts that you can get. It'll have your picture from the baptism, and underneath the picture, these words, I survived being baptized at BBCC. But it was a really encouraging day. And this morning as we talk about the topic of encouragement, we all know this, that both encouragement and discouragement can be very powerful forces in our lives. The Bible has a lot to say about encouragement. And here's a verse written to Christians in the first century, and this is what it says. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. And church, I just want to tell you this morning that I am so encouraged because I see so many of you doing exactly that. I'm using your words and your talents to encourage other people, to build each other up. And I know that not only pleases God, but it encourages our church family. And as we look around, we see God working in so many different ways and in so many different situations. When I was thinking about encouragement this week, I was reminded of a movie that I saw with one of my sons. It's called Coach Carter. And this is a, a sports film. It's about a basketball team and, and a, uh, a coach. And this was a very troubled team. And he had invested so much of his time and energy trying to just bring them together. And they make it all the way to the, the state championship game. And they lose. And this scene is toward the end of the movie. Coach Carter has got to find a way to encourage these guys because they're just they're de devastated by this loss. They've lost to a big rival school called St. Francis. And I want you to notice carefully how he uses words to encourage them. Let's take a look. Oh, well, not quite your storybook ending, huh? Not for us anyway. But you men played like champions. You never gave up. And champions hold their heads high. 
What you achieve goes way beyond the win-loss column or what's going to be written on the front page of the sports section tomorrow. You've achieved something that some people spend their whole lives trying to find. What you achieved is that ever-elusive victory within. And gentlemen, I am so proud of you. Four months ago, when I took the job at Richmond, I had a plan. That plan failed. I came to coach basketball players, and you became students. I came to teach boys, and you became men. For that, I thank you. If someone walked in this door right now, and offered me the coaching job at any school in the state of California. You know which team I choose? St. Francis. <laughs> Can you? Richmond. Rich what? Richmond. Rich what? Richmond. Rich what? Richmond. Amazing, isn't it amazing how words can encourage people so deeply? This morning as we talk about encouragement, there are three questions that I want to address. The first is this, what is encouragement? Secondly, why do we need it? And number three, how does it work? And I've got three goals today. The first is this, I want to deeply encourage every one of you. Secondly, I want to show you how to encourage others and then thirdly, I want to show you how you can receive encouragement from the people that God's placed in your life. So let's begin with a definition. What is encouragement? This is on your outline. Encouragement is a kind of expression that helps someone keep trying to do what pleases God even when life is hard. It's an expression that helps someone keep trying to do what pleases God even when life is hard. The truth is that we all need encouragement. And sometimes it's because of a crisis. Sometimes we need encouragement because life just isn't working out the way that we planned. Sometimes we need encouragement because we're sick or tired or because we're sick and tired. Sometimes what another person says or does or what they don't say or don't do can really discourage us, and so we need encouragement. And sometimes this happens. We can disappoint ourselves and need to be encouraged. Think about this. What kind of person encourages you? This is how people answered that question in a survey that I read. What kind of person encourages you? Someone who really listens and doesn't immediately tell me I was wrong. Someone who tries to understand how I feel. Someone who makes me feel special. Someone I can disagree with and not be afraid that they will get angry. Someone who sees hope for me no matter how bad things seem to be. Now here's the flip side. What kind of person discourages you? And this is from that same survey. Someone who expects perfection and is never satisfied no matter how much I do. Someone who's always too busy to listen. Someone who constantly puts me down. Someone who embarrasses me and doesn't even know it. Now, the Bible's clear that God wants us to both give and to receive encouragement, but why do we need it? And this statement is on your outline. Encouragement keeps us from developing a hard heart. 
Encouragement keeps us from developing a hard heart. Look at this, this verse. It's from the book of Hebrews. It says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another weekly. What does it say? Daily. Every single day, as long as it's called today. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Why do people develop hard hearts? Well, it's because the world can be a really hard place. Isn't that true? Filled with heartache and pain and disappointment. And when you experience this disappointment again and again, it can make your heart hard and cynical and even bitter. Here's, here's what happens. Think about a car battery for just a minute. Has anybody ever tried to jump a car from another car battery? All right, what if there's a lot of rust on the terminals? What do you have to do? You've got to get rid of the rust because that rust impedes the flow of electricity into and out of that battery, right? Well, see, that's what happens with your heart. When your heart becomes hard because you've been disappointed again and again, it's very hard for encouragement to flow into your heart or out of your heart. This is a story that I've shared before. It's about a garage sale the devil has. Do you remember this story? Some of you might. He's selling his best tools, tools of the trade, things like pride and envy and jealousy. And this guy is there looking at Satan's tools and he sees this one in the corner and he says, hey, how much is that tool? And Satan says, well, that tool's not for sale. And the guy says, why not? He says, because that's the best tool I have. And the man says, well, what, what tool is it? And Satan says, that's the tool of discouragement. Now, how does Satan discourage us? Here's his most common method by getting us to believe his lies. And often we, we do. We say to ourselves when life is hard, you know, nobody really cares about me. Nobody really cares what happens in my life. Or we hear a voice in our head that says, you know, you lost your temper again. You're never gonna change. Whenever we start to believe those lies that we tell ourselves or those lies that come from the enemy, we start to get discouraged. Isn't that true? And when you get discouraged again and again and again, it makes your heart hard. And church, that's why it is so important for us to encourage one another with God's truth and to encourage ourselves with the truth that comes from God's book. Because here's the reality. One of the benefits, one of the really important benefits of encouragement is that it, it protects us from the lies of the enemy and keeps us from developing a hard heart. Now here's another benefit. This is also on your outline number two. Encouragement stimulates the hope that help is available for the problems we face today. It stimulates the hope that help is available for the problems we face today. Anybody here have any problems you're facing right now? Do you know anybody who's facing problems? That's just the way life is. And there are times when we think to ourselves, there's, there's a really difficult situation. It could be at work. It could be a financial situation, maybe something with your kids or your marriage. And you say to yourself, there's just, there's no way out. There is no one who can help me in this situation. And when that happens, there is this predictable progression to how we feel. We start out being discouraged. And if that continues, we get depressed. And if that continues, we end up in despair. Now, what is the opposite of despair? I'm thinking of a four-letter word that starts with an H and ends with an E. What is it? Hope. And God wants us to live with hope. Look at this verse from the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul says this, for everything written in the past. Now, he's referring to the 
Old Testament, all these stories in the Bible were written to teach us, and notice this, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? What's the last word? Hope. This is a book that God intends to bring us hope. The stories in this Bible are intended to encourage you deeply so that you can live with hope. And here's the reality. There are times when life gets really hard and we think there is no one who can help me. And if you've ever been there before, think about this. There is a God who can help you. A God who loves you. I love Psalm 46. It says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And God wants us to be encouraged with that truth. There was a, a verse that I read this week as I was working on the message. It's in 1 Thessalonians. And it was written um, to a group of Christians who were going through some really difficult times. And the Apostle Paul wanted to encourage them so they wouldn't give up. And notice what he does to encourage them. It says this, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ. Why? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Friends, this is why it's so important to have a church family. So that other people can come alongside you and encourage you so that you're not unsettled by the trials that you face. Now here's another reason that we need encouragement. Number three, encouragement enables us to accomplish what God's called us to do. It enables us to accomplish what God has called us to do. Look at this verse. This is God speaking to Moses. He says this, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will lead this people across, that is across the Jordan River and will cause him to inherit the land that you will see. Let me ask you this. Did it take a long time for Israel to enter the promised land? How long? Who knows? 40 years. That's a good long time. Um, did they encounter any obstacles along the way? Yeah, tons of obstacles. Did they ever get discouraged? Yeah, over and over again. But that never happens to us, does it? I mean, think about it. Think about the times that you think, man, this is just taking way longer than I thought. How do you feel? You often get discouraged, right? Or there's an obstacle, and then another, and then another, and you're going, man, I just, why did I ever try to do this? This is too hard. God knows that we need people in our lives who will discourage us so that we don't quit. There's a, a man of the New Testament who was always encouraging others, and I want you to look at this verse about him. This is from the book of Acts. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now think about this character. What's his given name according to this verse? Joe, Joseph. What's his nickname? Barnabas. The apostles say, hey, you know what? You encourage us so much, we're just going to call you Barnabas. And what's so intriguing is you read the book of Acts, you find that the apostle Paul who's on a mission for God. I mean, he's written a lot of the books in the New Testament. He goes on all these missionary journeys, but he needs somebody to encourage him. So who does God pair him with? Barnabas. And they travel together, and Barnabas is continually encouraging Paul to accomplish Christ's mission. Some of you know that a number of years ago, my wife Chris and I um, rescued a dog. He's a, a chocolate lab. And I've got a picture of him. This was taken last night at the beach. He loves to run along the water and, and play there. 
But we took him home and they told us that his name was Jonas, J-O-N-A-S. Well, after a few days of watching this dog, whom we have come to love, um, we realized that he needed a new name. And he was always encouraging us, so guess what we named him? Barnabas. Now, I have to tell you a rather funny story about, about his name. Um, I met a lady after we adopted him, um, a very thoughtful lady, very, very kind. And she was a little perplexed about his name. And she said, you know, I'm just not sure why you would name your dog Barnabas. And I said, why? She said, well, the only person I know named Barnabas is a character on a soap opera called Dark Shadows, and he's a vampire. And she said, I don't know why a pastor would name his dog after a vampire. Can you, can you explain that one to me? And I thought, Lord, this is such a beautiful opportunity to say he's named after a character in the Bible. And that conversation, I believe that that, that conversation was an opportunity for me to encourage her. And I thought, you know, all around us, every day, we have these opportunities to encourage one another. Well, here's another reason we need encouragement. Number four, encouragement is the impetus for change. The impetus for change. How many of you have something about yourself you want to change? We all should. And here's the reality. Sometimes you feel like you're taking one step forward and then two steps backwards. And when that happens, how do you feel? You can get discouraged. There's no doubt about that. Um, for example, you know, you're trying to, to be more sensitive to the needs of your husband or your wife and you end up being selfish again. Or maybe this is the case, you're trying to get a handle on your anger and you're trying really, really hard not to get mad and you lose your temper again and you get really discouraged. Friends, the fact is that we need continual encouragement in order for our hearts to be changed. And God knows that. And that's why God himself wants to encourage you. And there's a beautiful verse about this. It's actually a prayer that Paul prays. This is in 2 Thessalonians. Take a look at this. This is very powerful. He says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may Jesus and the Father encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Paul's praying for these Christians that God and Jesus would encourage them to become the people that God created them to be. And that's what I'm praying for you and for myself, that God will encourage us to become not just the individuals and, and not just the families, but the church that he wants us to be. So this far we've defined encouragement. We've talked about why we need it. But here's the last question. How does encouragement actually work? Let's get really practical. How do you give and receive encouragement? Well, we know this. Words are really important if you want to encourage somebody. So take a look at this statement on your outline. It says this, words that encourage are prompted by what? By love. Encouragement is motivated or prompted by love. And check out this verse. It says this, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now for encouragement to work, we've got to want to encourage one another. Makes sense. And what motivation should we have to speak words of encouragement? What should our motivation be? I, it's the point you just have on your outline. Love, exactly. And think about this. Do you think God wants to encourage you right now? I hope so. Shake your head if you do. God wants to encourage you. Why does God want to encourage you right now? Because he loves you. And realize this. How many of you during the week have heard a discouraging voice or had a discouraging thought? Man, I have. 
I, I can discourage myself pretty easily by certain thoughts that I think. I can let other people discourage me by words that they communicate. I can let the enemy discourage me. But whenever I have an, a discouraging thought or hear a discouraging word, I always do this. I do like a mental timeout and remind myself that is not the voice of God. Because God never wants to discourage me. God is always working to encourage me. And Christian, that is true for you as well. It's something we need to remember. Now, in practical terms, let's say that you see somebody who's just really discouraged. You know, their head is down, their shoulders are slumped, and you want to encourage them, and you're trying to find the right words. But has this ever happened to you? You want to encourage somebody, but your words do just the opposite? Has that ever happened? Yeah, let me give you some examples. It's like the, the dad talking to his child who was nervous about the first day of school, and he said, oh, I don't know what you're so nervous about. I was never nervous on the first day of school when I had to walk five miles in the snow. Come on, what's wrong with you? Those are not very encouraging words, are they? Or how about this? Someone waiting for a medical report has a friend who says, oh, don't worry, it's probably nothing. You'll be fine, I'm sure. What if I'm not fine? What if it is something? Or how about this? The woman who's worried about her marriage breaking up and her friend says, hey, I always knew you could do better than him anyway. Thanks for those encouraging words. I really appreciate that. What kind of words actually encourage somebody? Well, we know they're motivated by love, but this is the other part of the encouragement equation. Words that encourage are directed toward fear. They're directed toward the fear that we have in our hearts. And listen, we can have so many different kinds of fear. I googled phobias, and I'm telling you what, there are an incredible number of fears that human beings have. It had a chart from A to Z with words I can't even pronounce. But I did want to share a few of them with you this morning. And some of these are, well, they might be common for some and rare for others, but here's one, gelotophobia. Anybody know what that means, by the way? I did not know what it meant. It's the fear of being laughed at. That may be a fear that you have. Um, Jurassophobia, the fear of growing old. Now, that's one that, that many people have. Um, how about this one? Musophobia. It's not the fear of, of a moose, by the way. It's actually the fear of, of mice or rats. Here's one. Harpaxophobia, the fear of being robbed. Here's, here's another, xenophobia, the fear of strangers. And the last one, and I don't think anybody in this room has this fear, ecclesiophobia. That's the fear of church, because you're all here. There are so many things in the world that can cause us to be afraid. But God wants us to live this life without fear. And the reason that he wants us to live without fear is because he loves us so much. I want to show you a verse this is from the book of Isaiah, and God's speaking to his people, and he says this, But now, O Israel, the Lord who created you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Now, when you hear those words, what happens in your heart? Do you feel encouraged? I do. And that's how encouragement works. God knows that there are certain fears in our hearts, and so he speaks against those fears because he loves us. Now think about this. What is the first emotion, the first human emotion recorded in the Bible? Does anybody know? Fear. The emotion is fear. 
It's what happens when Adam and Eve disobey God. Now look at these verses. This is from Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. For the very first time in his entire life, Adam is afraid. Now, what is he afraid of? Well, he says here, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. But church, realize this. Adam is not just afraid that his body is exposed. He's afraid that his heart is exposed. That God is going to look into his heart and see something that has never been there before. Guilt and shame and regret and fear. Now, what is it that that Adam is so afraid of? Well, God told Adam and Eve, if you disobey me, if you eat this fruit from the tree in the center of the garden, you shall surely what? Die. And so there is a legitimate fear of death, of punishment. And I believe that Adam was also afraid of this. He was afraid of being separated from God because he loved God. With all of his heart, he had a perfect relationship with God, and now that relationship was fractured. And I think, too, as Adam looked at Eve, there was fear as well, because God had said they were going to die. He didn't know how that would happen, or when that would happen, or what that would be like for him and for Eve, because he loved Eve, too. And so there's all this fear in Adam's heart. And what's remarkable, when you look at Genesis chapter 3, God tells Adam and Eve the consequences of their choice, that there is a curse pronounced on them, a curse on all of creation. But God gives them a promise. And this is in Genesis 3.15. God says, there is a child who will be born, a child of Eve, and this child will crush the head of the serpent. This child will reverse the curse. This child will come into this broken world and rescue sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And who is God speaking of? His very own son, Jesus Christ, who comes to our world to rescue us. And church, what's so fascinating is that God knows that he is now going to drive Adam and Eve from the only home they have ever known and their hearts are broken and his heart is broken. But God knows this, that they won't survive a single day without hope. And that's what that promise is intended to do, to give them the hope that a Savior is coming. And I read that this week and I thought, Lord, that's the heart of the gospel. The gospel is the most encouraging news we can possibly hear. The gospel is designed to give us hope. And I thought about this as well. We talk about the bad news that Scripture tells us, the bad news about ourselves, apart from God and apart from His grace. And we're like Adam and Eve. We've decided to go our own way. We've broken God's law. And because God is holy and just, we are going to be held accountable for our choices. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. It's a physical death, a spiritual death, a separation from God. And I thought about my own experience. When I first really understood the bad news, do you know what emotion filled my heart? Fear, legitimate fear, because apart from from God, apart from his grace and his mercy, I was going to face that punishment on my own, and I was afraid of that, 
And I was afraid because I knew that if God didn't do something, that I would spend eternity separated from God and separated from everything good. And I had this fear about the future and, and what that would look like. And those were the same fears, I believe, that were in Adam's heart. And then this, this last week, when we were at the beach, after everybody was baptized, we formed a circle and we sang Amazing Grace. And many of you know the words to Amazing Grace, right? Can you say verse one with me? Can we do that together? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And then it goes on. And this is what Amazing Grace says, written by John Newton. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fear relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first, does anybody know what the next word is? Believe. Believe what? That God really loves me. That Jesus really did come to this world. The second person of the Trinity. That he lived a life I could never live. And then because of his great love, he allowed himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified for me. And God was, was willing to say, hey, my son will die in your place. I'll put your sin on Jesus my wrath will be poured out on him instead of you. And he will die the death that you deserve and then I will raise him to life. And that's exactly what happens in this grand drama of redemption. And Jesus invites us to come and follow him and he says, listen, I want you to live a life of hope and joy and peace, a life where you are encouraged, a life where there is no what? No fear. Because I've taken all the punishment for you. And I love this verse. This is from, from 1 John there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, I want you to understand something, and this is, this is really the DNA of our church. We want our church to be a gospel-centered church. We want our ministries, we want our teaching, we want our lives to be centered on the gospel. And here's why that is so important, just on a practical level. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most encouraging news that anybody could ever hear or experience. But that news is something that we need to remind ourselves of. How often do you think? Every day. Every single day when I look in the mirror, I'm reminded because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me, I am totally accepted. I am deeply loved. I am completely forgiven by God. Every day, every day, and you're, when you're a Christian, because of what Jesus has done for you, you can look in the mirror and say, you know what, God? Today I have nothing to prove, I have nothing to hide, I have nothing to fear because of my Savior. And that, my friends, should deeply, deeply encourage us all the time. And today, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, you can be, by simply trusting Jesus and following him. Well, church, I'd like to make this message really practical. So would you take a look at the statement on your outline that says, one person I will encourage today is. Think about that for a moment. Who in your life do you need to encourage? Maybe they're sitting next to you right now. Maybe you'll have a conversation with them before you leave church today. So what do you say? What do you do to encourage them? Let me give you some suggestions, okay? Here are some statements that I think are encouraging. Um, here's the first. Thank you for looking for ways to encourage me. 
I say that to my wife a lot because that's what she does. She's always looking for ways to encourage me, and I thank her for that. Here's another. I appreciate how hard you're trying to change. I'm here if you want to talk. Hey, don't forget, I'm praying for you. Church, I want to do this. I want to close with a story. And I was telling First Service that, that often when I'm working on messages and I find a, a really compelling story or, you know, I discover something in Scripture, I get very excited about it. And the first thing I have to do is tell somebody. And often that, that somebody is my wife. And it happened this week. I found this story and I said, hey, Chris, you've got to listen to this story. This is just amazing. It's a story about encouragement and how powerful it can be. So I want to share that story with you. And let me say this as well. After the service today, if you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, you can go to the cross right over here. And our hope is that week after week, as we have people that are there to pray with you and for you, that you will continually be encouraged and that you'll begin to pray with others that God places in your life as well. But let me share this story about encouragement. It's a story about a man named William Wilberforce. Some of you know who he is. He was instrumental in the abolition of slavery. It goes like this. For years, William Wilberforce pushed Britain's parliament to abolish slavery. Discouraged, he was about to give up. His elderly friend, John Wesley, heard of it and from his deathbed called for pen and paper. With trembling hand, Wesley wrote, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But, William, if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish. John Wesley died six days later. But William Wilberforce fought for 45 more years. And in 1833, three days before his own death, he saw slavery abolished in Britain. Friends, listen, the words of encouragement that you speak this very day to someone in your family, to a friend, to someone in your church family are very, very powerful. Powerful enough not just to change their life, but powerful enough to change the world. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a powerful story. And Lord, we thank you this morning for your powerful words of encouragement. Uh, Scott, I, I pray this, that if somebody here this morning has realized that they've never trusted Jesus, they've never made a decision to follow him, that they would do that today. They would simply say this in their heart to you right now, God, I, I need you. I know I've made a lot of bad choices. I've sinned, and I know I need a Savior. And so, God, I just want to tell you that I believe that Jesus died for me, for my sins, and that you raised him to life, and I want to trust him and follow him. And God, I know you always hear that prayer. You always, you always respond. You always run to meet us, God, when we open our hearts and our lives to you. And Lord, today, I pray that you would help us to be a church that continually encourages each other. Lord, we see you at work. I was thinking about the, the simulcast, all the ladies who are here. God, the powerful teaching in this place. Lord, I think about... Our, our building project next door and how you're bringing that to completion. I think about a preschool and Lord, I think about the, 
the lives that are being changed in so many ways, all the people that were baptized at the beach, Lord, how you filled this place up on Easter and so many people decided to trust Jesus. God, you're at work here. And I pray that that would encourage each one of us. Because God, the truth is, it's easy to be overwhelmed by life. And I pray, Lord, that instead of being overwhelmed by life, that as we close this service, we would be overwhelmed by you and your great love for us.